G'day mate, welcome to episode 54 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. In this week's episode, we're digging into energy systems, then we're transitioning into talking about training zones, and we're going to finish up with the Harden Up Project, talking about suffering. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Alrighty, mate, welcome along to episode 54 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is so good to have you here. Nick, what's been going on, mate? What's been going on? I am tired. Mr. Graham, I'm tired. Uh, big weekend of biking uh, sort of culminated in having a wee hit out at the Otago mountain bike to club champs on the weekend for cross country. Um, and it was tough. It was a brutal course. Um, I know you've done various races around there before yourself in Bethune's Gully. Um, but I am freshening up this week ahead of the Motatapu. So really looking forward to seeing if I can kind of pull it all together this week. Um, got decent levels of protein going in trying to get some good sleep um and we'll see how it goes nice i was just about to ask you what are your tips and tricks for freshening up when uh you've arrived at tape week maybe a little bit overcooked <laughs> where you were playing but it sounds like you've got it got it nailed good uh good macronutrients going in and uh rest yeah pretty much the the two and some some light light zone one exercise which we might cover off later nice some active recovery I like it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into, firstly, something around energy systems, uh, and then we're going to transition into training zones, which should flow nicely on from the energy systems, and then we're going to finish up the Harden Up project with something about suffering, about suffering. So let's jump straight into it. No messing around today. Uh, We're going to try and keep the podcast a little bit shorter, back to the original time frame, because to be fair, we blew out completely last week with the uh, Harden Up segment, but uh, we're going to try and keep it down back to that original time frame. So energy systems. Energy systems, uh, you, you probably learned about them in high school, at, in, in biology class or in science general class. Why are they important? Well, they're, they're not actually that important. Well, they are, but for athletes, it's I think it's important to get a basic understanding of the energy systems because it's really important when it comes to training intensity, which we'll talk about soon, but understanding what's happening in your body helps you develop uh, a better why behind you do, why you do certain things in training or why you shouldn't do certain things in training. So developing just a general understanding of the energy systems, the foundation of life uh, is is kind of important. So this here is going to gloss over a lot of the detail, um, and so if you're a bit sciencey, this may um, frustrate you because I haven't dug into depth around specific things. But I am going to do a video on YouTube for our Whiteboard Wednesday that goes into more of the details around the specifics uh, of the energy systems. But this here is just going to be a bit of an overview of the three main energy systems that we deal with. So the, the key thing we need to know about energy systems is the kind of currency that we're dealing with. And, and what we're trying to deal with in, is our currency of ATP, adenosine triphosphate. This is all energy. Uh, you can't uh, eat energy or you can't take it in a pill form. It's made in the body. And so what adenosine triphosphate is, 
is it's an adenosine adeno, adeno, uh, molecule with three phosphates connected to it. And then what happens is one of these phosphates is cleaved off and there's a wee uh, reaction that happens and energy is released once that phosphate molecule comes off. That's energy being produced in the body. Now our energy systems in our body are all about being responsible of recharging that what is now an ADP molecule, adenosine diphosphate, back into an adenosine triphosphate. So reattaching that other phosphate molecule. So this is what the energy systems are trying to do. So I said there's three of them. The first one is our, our anaerobic alactate system. And often it's referred to as ATP-PCR or ATP-PC or sometimes just the PC system. It's quite confusing. But essentially what that means is it's ATP, the stored ATP that's in our body, and we've only got about two seconds worth of stored energy actually inside of our muscles. Once that's gone, it's gone. And then we use our PCR system to resupply that phosphate. So what our body does is takes phosphocreatine and takes one of those phosphate molecules and adds it back onto the ADP, which gives us back ATP. A lot of back and forth here. Anyway, so this here, once we go through the two seconds of stored energy in our muscles, plus use that phosphocreatine within our muscles, it gives us some really high intensity energy really, really quickly, but it only gives us max at about seven to 10 seconds. And I say there's a wee range there because you can train these systems to deliver more. And so this, if you can think about any explosive sprinting, jumping, throwing, um, anything really explosive, this is the energy system that we're using. For endurance athletes, potentially using it in uh, a sprint finish or um, power surges during uh, such as a, as, as a road race. So we're going to leave that there in terms of our, uh, our explosive energy system because we probably don't need to worry about it too much for the listeners of this podcast. The second one we really want to dig into is our anaerobic glycolytic system. And the anaerobic glycolytic system uses only carbohydrate as an energy fuel. So it takes carbohydrate in and it quickly produces energy for us, produces two ATP molecules that we can then use to power our muscles. The thing with this energy system is that it produces pyruvate, which then, to get rid of that, goes into lactic acid. Now, lactic acid only is in existence within our body for a very short period of time because then it splits apart into lactate and a hydrogen ion. So most of you will be quite familiar with lactate or lactic acid. And often, people think of lactic acid as a, as a negative thing or an end-stage byproduct. But what it actually is is a bit of a storage system for us because when oxygen becomes available again, our body can actually use that lactic acid or lactate and put it into our aerobic energy system and make fuel out of it that way. So first of all, we've got our explosive energy system, our ATP PCR system. Second, we've got our anaerobic glycolytic. Now the anaerobic glycolytic is a little bit more uh, longer duration, up to around about two minutes. 
is when this energy system dominates. After that, we transition into the next one, which is our aerobic energy system. And the interesting thing about the anaerobic glycolytic is that it is actually the first phase of our aerobic energy system. So everything runs through the anaerobic glycolytic energy system. If there's not enough oxygen available to take that pyruvic acid and then put it into our aerobic energy system, it gets made into lactate. But if there is oxygen available, that pyruvic, pyruvic acid or pyruvate, as it's sometimes called, goes into the mitochondria, and this is where our aerobic metabolism really kicks into gear. Now the cool thing about the aerobic metabolism is we get a lot of energy out of it, a lot of ATP. So if you remember, through our anaerobic glycolytic system, the net result, we got two, two coins out of it, if you like, two lots of ATP. Not much, but we got it really fast. If we let our aerobic metabolism run a full cycle, we get somewhere between 26 and 38 coins out of it, if you like, our ATP coins. So we get a lot of energy out of it, but it takes time and it takes oxygen. So if you are exercising really hard and your body's not able to uptake the oxygen to meet the demand, then we can't run that full aerobic cycle. So what does this actually all mean? I think with the confusion of energy systems, it's probably someone explaining it like I just have and it's very confusing. <laughs> Tried to make it simple, sorry, might have not have happened. But if you can think of three pots boiling on a stove or simmering away on the stove, and each one of those pots is one of our energy systems. So at any one time, they're all sort of simmering away in the background, but then what we do is we turn up the heat on one of them specifically depending on the task that we're doing. So if you're doing a really long endurance event, you're primarily using your aerobic energy system, that diesel engine, you're turning up the heat on that. But you're still using that ATP PCR system, whenever you do a little surge, the body will recruit that. But then that's just getting repaid by our aerobic system when it can. And the same with our anaerobic glycolytic system. That there's churning away, and every time you push a little bit harder and there's not the oxygen available to take that pyruvic acid and put it into our aerobic energy system, then a little bit of lactate's made. And we're gonna talk about lactate or anaerobic threshold in, in a minute. So you can only use glucose or carbohydrate in our anaerobic glycolytic system, but you can use fat protein and carbohydrate in our aerobic system as well. And so it's good to know that so that when you come to train those different areas, different aspects, we can adjust how we're training to target our different energy systems. Nick, help me out here. Well, I think you've given it a fairly good, good spectrum. Um, one thing I've always found quite interesting is the amount of ATP that is, I guess, yielded or given off from metabolism of fat is significantly greater than that of a, a carbohydrate, uh, which is where some of this kind of high fat sort of fueling for racing has, has come into play, um, as long as that intensity is low enough. 
Um, so like you said, if your intensity is creeping up, and we'll have a look at that, that shortly, then that, that metabolism mm. sort of switches over to predominantly carbohydrate, um, and you just end up sitting around with a whole bunch of sort of fat in your gut, and that's not ideal. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's a key thing as well. And I think there's two, two key points there is that, one, if you want to go hard or fast, then carbohydrate's really important. But two, if you want to go hard and fast for a long period of time, that fat adaptation is important so that you can actually you can train that. You can train your body to metabolize fat at higher intensities. That's what you know uh, aerobic endurance is, is really all about when, when it boils down to it. So there's yeah those two two components there I think is is really important knowledge to have. Yeah, totally. Um, but also on the I guess the the creatine phospholipid phospholytic stage, being able to use a supplementation like creatine, which I know you've covered before, to really give you an extra extra wee boost, so to speak, um, like getting a wee kettle prod um, in that final sort of one or two seconds of your performance. Um, so being able to manipulate that from an endurance point of view is quite quite important and interesting as well i think yeah and then maybe that's something we can dig into like really dig into another in another time and not so much just in performance as well but in training performance and i think a lot of people always jump to oh what if i could be that much a little better on race day but if you can imagine being that much better each training session pushing that much harder each training session then all of those little bits add up and so on race day, you're not just this much better because of the supplement, but you're this much better because all of the gains you've made using the supplement and training as well. Yeah, totally. And that's that's the argument, I guess, for keeping your your drug cheats out of sports like cycling for longer than 100%. because they've had such a long period of time training with all these um, enhancements. Um, it's not just their performance on race day; it's the the two or three years down the track because of their training history. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, like, why, why, yeah, why do you give someone a life, well, a lifetime ban, or even just like a six-month ban? Someone gets a six-month ban for taking EPO, then sure, the EPO's out of their system in six months, but they've had three or four years of being able to stand a training load that's, you know, potentially 25% higher than uh, an athlete not taking it. If you can train 25% more and not be as tired, you know, not get as sick as often, able to maintain a lower body weight, so your power to weight ratios up, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a sports scientist to see that all of those things are a, a massive performance enhancers, and they just don't disappear over six months. No, no, that's right. But that was a little bit of a tangent anyway. So I think what we'll do is. Now that we've got a bit of a general understanding of our diesel engine, our aerobic energy system, and our slightly higher octane uh, energy system, our anaerobic glycolytic, let's jump into training zones because I think a lot of this may become a little bit clearer um, as we talk about it in the practical applied side, which is, you know, energy systems is pretty much training zones, but in the, in the real world. Training zones are essentially a way for us to get a, provide a guideline um, from an intensity point of view. Um, so we can go out and do any session any day of the week uh, and as we assume we're working at a certain percentage 
um, or a certain RPE, a rating of perceived exertion. But by utilising whether it be heart rate or power or pace, we can get a real specific, uh, I guess, intensity measure at, at the time of that uh, session. And an in, in, in intensity meaning like how hard you're working. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that enables us to then kind of group sessions together across the course of a week and a, a, a month and a year from a training load point of view, but also enables us to, to sort of program specific sessions to increase your anaerobic threshold or to increase your VO2 max um, or your aerobic capacity um, and all these sort of components of training and exercise that are essentially what gives us the performance come race day. There are some pretty, I mean, there's, there's lab tests you can do, which will give you a really accurate number on a graph. Um, they're a little bit less specific because you're often sitting on a stationary bike or running on a treadmill. Um, but you can really do a, a, a really nice uh, field test when it comes to looking at heart rate especially, um, but also your functional power on the bike um, or your running pace. So we've got the bike heart rate threshold, run heart rate threshold, um, and then your bike functional power or FTP as it's sometimes called, um, and then your running pace. Now, these tests are quite easy to administer. Um, they do require a little bit of forward planning in terms of where you're going to do them, uh, especially for the biking one, because you're going to be biking pretty much full noise for half an hour, and you need that piece of road to be relatively flat, relatively low traffic, um, and low uh, intersections and traffic lights, etc. Um, same too with the running, but obviously you're not going to be going as far, um, but you don't want to have any interruptions where possible. So what you're going to do is basically do a 10 to 15 minute warm up uh, where it's just a nice gentle run or bike. Um, within that period you want to include three or four uh, sort of one minute accelerations. Um, now when I talk about an acceleration that would be sort of building up the intensity um, over the first 20 seconds. Maybe for that kind of middle 20 seconds you're getting up to being working maximally and holding on for 10-15 for seconds at the end um, and then dropping off. Um, don't obviously stop cold, uh, just sort of slow your, your pedaling or your running down. Um, give yourself a minute or two in between and repeat another one just to really get your heart rate going and to get the blood flowing. Then at the end of that 10-15 minute period, you're going to start the lap timer on your watch or your cycle computer and you're going to record a 30 minute block of work. Like I said, that's either biking as hard as you can or running as hard as you can for 30 minutes. Now, the key to doing this, when I say as hard as you can, is you don't want to sprint for five minutes and then just hold on. You want to be as consistent as you can across that 30 minutes, um, working at a hard, hard level. Um, so you kind of want to yeah, finish the 30 minutes being pretty, pretty stuffed, um, but not, like I said, getting to that final 10, just kind of just holding on. That ensures that your average heart rate or average power across that time is a, is a really nice, stable, high level. So from there, you're going to take your average heart rate from that 30 minutes or average uh, running pace or average bike power. Um, and if you're using training peaks, you can input the, the average value on that, uh, the zone screen. Um, there's a section there for running pace, for uh, bike power, and also for heart rate. Now, when you go to calculate your zones from training peaks especially um, using the heart rate 
there's a, a drop down list you're going to get to look at what different method to adopt. Now, Matty is a, a preferent of the Andy Kogan method, which gives you five zones. Uh, I prefer the, the Joe Farrell uh, for running or cycling, depending on what sport you've done, um, which gives you seven zones. Now, we were just chatting before, I essentially use the seven zones and drop them down to five. So he'll give you zone five, A, B, C. Um, I just class that as one zone five. So you get five zones, but it'll list out seven. Uh, both methods have their merits and their downfalls. Um, so they're both just as good as each other. Um, just depends on, on what sort of coaching method and, and background we're, we're used to. Did you want to add anything to? Yeah, I mean, the, the differences are so minute in terms of, you know, it's, it's just a couple of beats here or there, and they, they essentially do the same thing. The, the key thing is um, is to, to do that personalised test, you know. Uh, doing Using either one of those methods is going to give you so much of a better result than just going and doing your age-predicted match, you know, 220 minus your age and then finding percentages from there. So, yeah, I mean, there, there is literally, you know, no difference when it, when it comes down to it. So... Either one of those is, is would be the the benchmark of you know quality. Yeah, cool, and that's that's a great point that I missed out around the the max heart rate. Um, you can work out a heart rate zone based on a percentage of your max heart rate. Uh, to do a max heart rate test is is tricky um, because you have to go essentially as hard as you possibly can for long enough to allow your heart rate to rise up to the the peak, um, and you'll never quite know whether that was the peak. You might go out two weeks later in a race and you had a, a higher level. So the threshold level seems to be a lot more reliable in terms of its retest kind of value. So there's, there's an article on uh, the Exponential Performance Coaching website, which I'll put under the show notes for this episode. Um, and what in, in that article, it shows like the gold standard of intensity gauges, which is like a lab-based anaerobic threshold test. And then it has a field test comparison, like what the heart rate zones came out of that field test. And then it has like a where we looked at heart rate range, and then when we just looked at age predicted max heart rate and calculated zones off there. And you can see that compared to like the gold standard of a lab based test, the field testing is super accurate, um, way more accurate than any any of the other methods, and no cost. And and it either which is you know one of the reasons that lab-based testing is you know one of the big negatives is the cost to get it done you know it's upwards of sort of 150 bucks depending on where you are and what sort of protocol you use so have a look at that if you're if you're interested in, in seeing the differences but the number one thing i would suggest is never ever just you know get your new garmin put your age into it and then trust the training zones that they give you yep fantastic but also garmin are going to give you are going to give you some uh, heart rate values and Polar will give you some heart rate values for different zones. I think Strava even gives you zones. If you set up your zones on training peaks, that's that's your gold standard. You then need to be responsible for taking that data and putting it into Garmin, Polar, Strava, whatever it might be. Uh, that's a good point. So when you're using your device and it's telling you you're in zone two, that's your threshold defined zone two. It's not some random zone that Garmin has set up for you. So that would be that would be my main kind of red flag around all this. Um, the other thing is obviously I've talked a lot about the heart rate component. Ninety nine percent of people are going to have access to setting a heart rate zone. Um, a, a significant less proportion will use power. Um, so if you want some information around power, where we can dive into that at a later stage. Uh, running pace is similar. 
uh, running pace is an interesting kind of, I guess maybe a slightly newer field for, for zone testing. Um, heart rate is a wee bit easier to, to understand and get your head around um, without throwing pace into the mix. So from those five zones that you're going to get, um, I'm not going to read out the percentages because we'll be here forever and you'll be trying to write them down because the bike is slightly different to the run but I'll make sure Maddie puts them over in the show notes for this episode so if you're not using training peaks you can know roughly what those different zone one to zone five percentages are. Uh, the main thing I guess from my point of view is that zone five is essentially a hundred percent of your threshold or, pl- or over so when you're setting a zone five workout that is you're working in that very much anaerobic um, system, maybe even a little bit of the creatine phosphate system. Um, anything below that, uh, you're below threshold, so you're use, utilizing oxygen, so you're somewhere within that anaerobic, glycolytic, anaerobic um, energy system. Um, throughout the spectrum, as you move down towards zone one, you obviously switch a lot more aerobic than anaerobic, um, and therefore your fat oxidation numbers will go up the closer you get to the bottom of zone one. Um, so it's a bit of a spectrum and depends on your training history, your uh, diet and so forth as to where your, your oxidation levels will sit within those zones. Um, but I think today we were going to cover off just quickly around zone one um, and sort of start from here and build up over the next few weeks for the different zones. And zone one for me is really um, all about recovery um, or active recovery as it's sometimes called or just simply easy um, generally it's below 80% of your threshold heart rate. So it's quite low uh, and you're basically using it to help facilitate recovery in the muscles, clearing out byproducts from harder sessions by uh, increasing blood flow to those muscles, uh, which can be really good for, for, session, uh, for weeks before a race. So you're tapering, um, some really good spinning after a hard interval session, um, you know, the last 10-15 minutes really drop down into a low heart rate zone, spin the legs to, to get that blood flow moving. Um, it's also really good from a warm-up point of view. So instead of jumping out there and going as hard as you can from, from the scratch, you want to just build up, uh, get the legs moving, uh, get the blood flowing, uh, and get some blood moving through the system. So that's where zone 1 can really play its part. Um, outside of that, in your long, long um, sort of steady state sessions, you may sometimes find yourself in zone one, uh, especially in group sort of runs or group rides where you're not in control of the intensity so much. Um, and that's okay. Most of your endurance stuff you want to sit in zone two where possible, and we'll, we'll look at that one next week. Um, but don't be afraid if you end up in zone one on some, a longer ride. Yeah, better to be uh, that way in zone one versus in zone four on your long ride. Exactly. And as the as the weeks go on, we'll sort of we'll link everything back to, to why it's better to be in a certain zone. Um, and you'll start to see that the more time you spend in, in zone three, four and five, uh, the, the more stress you're putting on the system uh, and the, the sort of slightly negative effects that that can have. I think um, with a big thing with zone one um, is planning your session. Like if so, let's say you've just got a pure active recovery session you're only going to go out, stay majority of the time in zone one. It's really important to set yourself up for success in, in these sessions because if you just go out and say, oh, I'm going to go and ride this loop or go and run you know, through this, this run that I usually do and there's a bunch of hills uh, or you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bunch ride and you, you're going out 
and it's you know the Friday smash fest session uh, and it's meant to be an active recovery ride there's no way that you're going to be able to maintain that easy training zone the zone one often feels like ridiculously easy like what is even the point of it uh, and the key thing is to make sure I, I find it really good to be by yourself so that you have complete control over the pace it needs to be as flat as a pancake whatever terrain you're going you want to avoid hills like the plague because that's just going to spike you up into a harder training zone and it just it completely undoes the purpose of the session which is trying to you know go easy reduce stress levels and, and just turn the legs over clear out that lymphatic system um, so set yourself up for success choose good terrain for it go by yourself and this is where like indoor training I think is really good if you want to nail down the intensity the other thing I'd say is that these these sessions are quite good not just for that physical recovery but mental as well that mental recovery in two ways if you are finding it hard to fit an active recovery session into say your recovery week and it's more of a stress to try and get out there and do it I'd just say chop it out because if it's causing stress uh, and you don't really want to go out and do it it's just adding to that mental load so so just cut it out but however there's some people that can't just completely cut out rides and have complete recovery uh, and this is where if you've got an active recovery session it does help keep the mind fresh as well because you still feel like you're doing something which for a lot of people uh, there's this compulsion almost to go out and do something whenever I mention the word like recovery week it's kind of like a really dirty word and uh, no one wants to hear about it but a recovery week's not about complete recovery although that does come into it but this active recovery is really important and it's important that it's done at the correct intensity otherwise uh, it's no longer active recovery it's just general stress load on the body yeah perfectly surmised nice. alright so that there is our first part of our training zone series we're going to be back next week with looking at the aerobic zone zone 2 and hopefully we can build this understanding of it as we go anything else on training zones uh, no I guess that for me the bigger picture is trying to trying to make this uh, I guess the, the method of training for an event or for even just training for life have some sort of structure to it um, you know you can go out and you can like I said you can hit yourself hard all the time and eventually you fall over um, you can go out you can be really really slow and methodical all the time and you'll never get any quicker so it's about trying to create some structure so hopefully over the course of the the four or five weeks um, we can kind of build that picture so when you see a zone one session you understand what it is um, and when you go out for, for four or five hours in zone two you know why you have to slow down climbing that hill and, and so forth like that so there, there is method to to the madness big time and i mean that's the different that's what separates exercise and training so training is the systematic use of exercise to improve performance if it's not systematic then it's not actually training it's just exercising you know anyone can come up with a training a training program um, that'll make you really tired <laughs> but the, the trick with the training program is not just to smash someone into the ground and make them tired but it is actually to get that 
uh, continual increase in performance, which is a little bit harder to do. But with the right know-how, it is good. And if you do want a training plan that is systematic and it will and help improve your performance, but you don't want to have to think about all these zones and that sort of thing, check out all the training plans we've got available over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash plans. Over there we've got a range of training plans that target specific races as well as general training build-ups. And if you can't find what you're after over there, then send us a message and we'll see what we can do to come up with a plan that suits your needs. We're going to leave that behind now and we're going to jump into the Harden Up project for this week. This week on the Harden Up project, we are going to keep it a little shorter than last week because last week did blow out a little bit, but how awesome was Mawson's story? This week, we're going to talk about suffering, but what I did is I went out and Googled Harden Up, like where did Harden Up actually came from? And I couldn't have actually wrote a better definition than what is actually in the Collins English Dictionary to be fair. So harden up is a, is a verb. And it comes from uh, our seafaring times. and uh, Specifically, I guess, the British Navy. And so when you're sailing a big sailing ship, what happens is when... I don't know too much about sailing. All Everything from sailing I've learned is from the America's Cup racing with Sir Peter Blake. And if I know anything, then if you're going downwind in a sailing ship, you chuck out the spinnaker and you can go real fast. But going upwind is quite hard. And so, so I find out. But what happens is sometimes when you're heading upwind and you're tacking, the sail gets a little bit soft, right? And it starts to spill air and flap a little bit. And this is called luffing. So the sail starts to luff. And what they do is they call out harden up. And what they do is is actually the tightening of the sheets of the sail to prevent the softness in the sail so that they can drive forward faster. How awesome is that? So harden up is actually about hardening up the sail so that your ship can go forward into the wind. Stop the softness in the sail. Isn't that freaking awesome? Mm, that's that's a very good insight into, into sailing. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'll use that next America's Cup time. No, but you think of it. So when you're starting to be, feel a bit soft, going into the headwind on your bike, your sail's starting to lose a bit of air and luff a bit, because you are a bit soft, then what we need to do is just harden it up, pull the sheets a bit tighter, harden up and push on through and move forward. Hardening up helps us move forward in our journey. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was awesome. But anyway, we're talking about suffering today. And I think endurance sport and suffering kind of go hand in hand. And even life and suffering go hand in hand in some respect as well. With endurance sport, it kind of annoys me a little bit when you must say, oh, suffering so bad out there. Everything was so hard. They had this big sad story about how hard it was and that, that was just suffering through it. But when we think about suffering, like in, in endurance sport, pain is inevitable. It's going to hurt. Right, if if you're doing it right, if you if you're going hard enough, it's gonna hurt, and you should be going hard. You should be pushing yourself to your limits, and it's gonna hurt. But suffering 
you don't actually have to suffer through it because suffering is just just a choice it's it's an optional add-on all right so next race this weekend it's going to hurt because he's going to be going hard he's going to be pushing into that anaerobic zone he's going to be just on his threshold if not over punching those climbs up and it's going to it's going to hurt he's going to hurt a lot because he's going to be going hard but he doesn't have to suffer because that's just a choice in the moment of what he's doing and when you think about it of, of actual true suffering one you actually paid kind of good money to be going through this right now so why are you making it hard on yourself by choosing to suffer two if it does get really hard let's just put our head up and have a look around where we are next to the motor tapu this weekend and it is an amazing part of the country so just have a look around and, and enjoy yourself a little bit I think the key thing to remember is that if you're not hurting, then you're not doing it right. Because I think there's almost a linear relationship in endurance sport between performance and pain. <laughs> the, the better you go, the more it hurts. The faster you go, the more it hurts. So rather than thinking about pain as something you've got to suffer through, I think you need to think about pain as something that you're seeking out. Because if you're seeking out pain, then you're going to be going faster. So rather than thinking, oh man, this hurts so bad, just think, far out, I'm going so fast right now. Let's see how much faster I can go. Let's see how much I can make it hurt. And if you can withstand that pain that you're putting yourself through, and not suffer through it, but enjoy it, and know that that's what it's meant to feel like. That is what going fast feels like. That's what's going hard feel like. If you if you're going fast and it's not hurting, well then you're not actually really going that fast. Everyone around you is probably going fast as well because it's a tailwind. You've got your spinnaker out. What we need to do is harden those sails up and drive into the wind, and then then you'll find out. So the, I think the key thing is is that suffering is optional. And when you actually reset that new normal, which is what the Harden Up Project is all about, and you think about the suffering that Mawson went through on his big trek, you think the suffering of people that live in a war zone, you know, innocent civilians, kids going to school in a war zone, you know, people getting murdered and, and just living in horrific situations. But here you are suffering through this bike ride that you're doing through one of the most you know, spectacular places in the world, it's not really suffering. You're just choosing to be all sad and sad about it and have a bit of a pity party while you're out there on your bike. So the key thing is, I think, is harden up and push through it. See how much you can make it hurt, knowing that if it's not hurting, you're not going hard enough, and that it never actually gets any easier. It never gets any easier. You just go faster. And as you go faster, it hurts more. So if anything, those athletes that you see coming into the finish line first, they actually have the highest pain tolerances or the highest ability to deal with pain. Because, and often you think, man, they'll make it look so easy. But it doesn't get any easier. And in fact, those guys at the front dig deeper or just as much as anybody else out there, I'd say more, 
and not pushing into the anaerobic energy system more than anyone else out there. There's more lactate being produced. There's more hydrogen ions circulating around the body, turning the blood acidic. And that's where you get that burning feeling from, all those hydrogen ions floating around. That's where you get that burning in your lungs, that blood taste in your lungs because you're breathing so hard. The people at the front have just as much of that because they're pushing harder. So when you go out there today, or whenever you're listening to this, whether it's on a, a training session or whether it's Nick this weekend on his race, I want you to think about how fast you can make yourself go. Think about digging a little bit deeper and not thinking about the pain, but thinking about the power that you're producing on the bike, whether it be running, whether it be kayaking or swimming. If you're on a key interval set, let's just see if we can dial it up a little bit. Obviously in the correct training zone, this is in zone five, and push a little bit harder and not think about, oh man, this hurts so much, I'm suffering. Think about, man, I'm going so fast because this really, really hurts. Let's see how much more we can make it hurt. Because pain, it's all just perception at the end of the day. Your body's sending you signals for sure. They're kind of uncomfortable for sure. But you're not going to die from them. That's just what it feels like to go hard. That's just what it feels like to go hard. It never gets easier. You just go faster. As you go faster, it just hurts more. Hard enough. Get out there. Pull those sails tight. Drive into the headwind. Nick, good luck this weekend on your race, mate. Thank you. Look forward to, to sharing my, my hard and up stories with you next week. Oh, mate, this is going to be a big hard and up story for you. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. <laughs> remember if you want to get your hands on some harden up stickers i've been sending them out in bulk this week we've got the we've got the new ones in we've got the extras in we're sending them out sending us send us through your harden up story the hardest training session you've ever done the hardest race or the hardest adventure whatever it is send us through either via email facebook instagram Make sure you're happy with it being shared on social media because we're going to put them out there so everyone can feed off each other's hard stories and tell us why you found it hard. Also remember, if you want to go into the draw to win one of two Harden Up t-shirts, head over to Facebook. It's only on Facebook. And tag a mate over there in the post who needs a wee t-shirt to remind them to harden up. There's been a few people tagging Nick in it. So if you want Nick to win this t-shirt, make sure you go over and tag him in there because he needs it. He needs it. Come on, help him out. Got any questions for us, if you'd like to help shape the direction of the podcast, feel free to send them through or just topics that you want us to talk about. They don't have to be specific questions. You can send those over in a voice message at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask or send us a, a message, a written message via the website facebook or instagram remember all the show notes that we talked about today are going to be over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 54 make sure you don't miss out on any of the upcoming podcasts or videos by subscribing over on youtube or whatever podcasting platform you are using on that note if there is a podcasting platform that you're using and we're not there 
uh, and we have to do something to get on there, let us know and we will do what we need to do to link our podcast over to that platform. Come over to the Exponential Performance Facebook page to have a chat with us over there or find us on Instagram to continue the conversation. I'm at Matty EPC and Nick is at its underscore a underscore Nick's underscore life. Until next time, get out there, train hard, but remember to train smart. Be systematic about what you're doing. Be driven in the right direction. We'll talk to you next week.